You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. So when I chose to do the um, series, the preaching series, the message series that we're in, um, it was about the new year. And I, like many of you, was wrapped up in, I got like N95 strings on my face. Um, I, like many of you, was wrapped up in questions of, um, who do I want to be this year? What do I want to change about myself this year? What What do I aspire to do? Um, Now, I'm an accomplisher, and I'm just like a busy person by nature, and I like adding too many things to my plate. Um, And as I started this year, I wanted to focus a little less on, hey, what are all the things that I want to get done, but like, who do I want to be? And as I was thinking about praying uh, through that and kind of like planning my own year, I decided, well, it'd be good for us to start maybe together as a church. Maybe I'd have some wisdom as a preacher to share with you guys about how do we get back to the real me? Like, how do I discover who I'm supposed to be? What, is it, what does it mean for, for me to heal? What does it mean for you to heal? I, and, and it felt like, hey, th- these are important questions. These are timely questions, particularly at the turn of the calendar year. And so as we wrap up this series um, here on uh, January 30th, I'm finally going to give you the answer. And it's like a whole month too late because it's a month past your New Year's resolutions. Um, it's the most long-winded way in the world to answer the question of how to get to the real you, listen to five hours worth of sermons. Um, I mean, not really. They haven't been full hours, just close. Anyway, so, so what we've been doing is we've been um, laying some foundations, reminding ourselves of simple yet powerful facts about who we were made to be. And we discovered that we're in God, we're for God. We discovered that we have souls that are meant to be connected to God. Um, we discovered like these, these, these simple, quiet things along these lines. And then we discovered last week um, kind of this uh, I don't know, it, it was the downer week of the series. It was the, hey, you are so wrapped up in sin that whether you know it or not, um, you are complicit and contributing to the vast brokenness of the world. And if you take your little bits of sin and give everybody else a little bit more space because maybe they've been um, more wounded and in, in even harder harder circumstances than you, and you multiply that by seven billion, plus you multiply that times history, like you see how quickly and vastly jacked up our world um, can be, and how, oh my word, we're, we're trapped in this whole mess of selfishness and excuses and sin. So, so last week was kind of this, uh, this negative one. It, it was biblical and right and helpful, And it was 
absolutely necessary to do before we get to this week, because this week is finally the answer of, okay, so if there is a real me, uh, then how do I get there? And, and the basic conviction that I've had from the beginning of this series is there is a real you. You may have never encountered the real you before, but the you that God has designed you to be is holier than you've ever imagined because it's more loving than you've ever imagined because it is absolutely and deeply and powerfully connected to the God of love. Like the the real you has been hidden from you in pain, in brokenness, in blindness, in numbness. The real you has been hidden from you precisely because of your disconnection from God. So everything that we talked about last week with all the sin, with all of our complicity, with all of our God help us-ness, this week is God is actually helping us and what he's helping us to do is something inconceivably good. So I picked a rather long passage this morning, um, and I'm going to go through it uh, hopefully quickly, right? You guys heard at the very beginning of the service, we read it, and it's, it's a whole chapter. It's from um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 3, verse 4. It's, it's a lot of verses. Look, can, I, can I just give you ahead of time what I'm trying to do in these verses, Right, this is like the worst sermon series ever because it took me five weeks to say, hey, there is a real you and it's better than you've imagined, but you can only come to know who that you is once you're profoundly connected to Jesus. Right, that's, that's the whole sermon series. That's five weeks. Um, it, it took us five weeks to get there and it's gonna take me a lot more time to say that this morning. Um, sorry, it's, I guess, my own wordy limitations. Um, but, but before we get there to this long passage, can I just stipulate that that's what it's telling us? Um, I guess one of my uh, complaints, critiques, I don't mean to be a critic of the whole world, apparently I'm that way uh, by design and I'm, I'm trying to be more positive for y'all. Um, <laughs> if y'all know me, you'll really be dying laughing. Um, my wife is uh, on the inside. Um, I have no idea what I was saying. No, I do, I do. Um, uh, one of my critiques of, uh, I guess, myself, which then gets projected onto the Christian world around me, um, wh- one of the limitations of my understanding of who Jesus is and what he was doing, like the limitations of my understanding of the gospel, um, growing up and being around the church, um, even as a young adult, and especially as a young adult, like um, eventually dropping out of a PhD program and quitting finance and going to um, seminary, um, I-, I had still pretty profound misunderstandings of what the gospel was. And most of my profound uh, misunderstandings had to do with um, my expectations of God being way too small, my expectations only having to do with future things, my expectations of God only had to do with quote-unquote spiritual things and didn't have nearly enough to do with this world, with this cosmos, with this flesh, with this heart, with this mind, with this moment. So what I want to suggest before we read this, part of the reason that I picked a whole chapter to preach to you guys this morning, even though it would probably have been wiser and simpler to pick like one verse, is is I want you to see, um, maybe with fresh eyes or maybe even with new eyes, um, how weird the gospel of the New Testament is. 
Because maybe, like, you, maybe you get it, maybe, you, maybe you've been better than me, maybe, maybe you've been taught better than me, maybe you just understand better than me, maybe Jesus just, like, helped you see this before me, and, and if that's the case for you, like, I'm not poo-pooing you, like, thumbs up, way to go, like, really. Um, but, but maybe, like me, um, you've misheard the message of the New Testament over and over and over and over and over, and what we need to do is, like, hear big chunks of it sometimes and say, wait, it says that? So, so let, me, let me summarize um, basically, uh, Paul's going to say a couple of things. He's, he's going to have this worldview where we as humans are not in complete control of ourselves. He, he's going to paint us as uh, basically enslaved peoples of authorities, powers, forces, principalities, even beyond our control. As weird as that is for us in the 21st century, this is the mindset and the view of the entire New Testament. So, so that's there. Also on top of that is, hey, you need not just forgiveness for your little peccadillos, like you looked at pornography once and now God wants to roast you for a million years. No, no, no. You, you, you do need forgiveness for all of your peccadillos, but more than that, you need liberation from these powers that are over you and above you and you are so wrapped up in and so stuck in and so mired in that there's no escape. You are absolutely helpless. So, so, so to be forgiven for sins is to be liberated in a profound sense. Even beyond that, to be forgiven for sins is in fact to be healed. It's to be changed from the inside. It's not just God doing one weird accounting trick by the cross at the end of time where instead of him having to be mad at you forever, he decides, well, instead I'll be mad at someone else and that someone else is myself. It's, it's not a trick, the, the, the cross of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus has to do with healing, which is, in, in the language of Paul, it's, it's us being filled with Christ. And, and he goes so far to emphasize this, this filling, this healing, this changing of our nature by this reconnection to deity itself. Right, This is the gospel. This reconnection fills us with the very stuff of divine presence and as we are filled with the very stuff of divine presence, it heals us. He, he goes so far to emphasize this healing, this power, this actuality of the gospel that, that he says in many different ways here in one chapter that all the religious stuff that we're doing is dumb. The Ten Commandments are dumb, which, right, this sounds like blasphemy, but he says the Sabbath and you trying to keep the Sabbath, which is one of the Ten Commandments, is dumb. Your deep philosophy is dumb. Your big ideas about God are dumb. Your religious shows and even your services like that, they are all dumb. They are all mere superstitions if at the end of the day you do not find yourself personally and profoundly connected to the God who is the source of life and being and all things. So th this is what he says. And I just want you to hear it. So I'm going to point out as we go how it kind of fits into this. But all the religious stuff is dumb. Instead, what we need is to be filled with Christ. And then what he's going to do is he's going to say, if you have been filled with Christ, 
Stop worrying about all the religious stuff. Yeah, do the good stuff that's actually contributing to the shalom around you. Yes, absolutely. Like live like you've been filled with Christ and put your minds on the fact that you've been filled with Christ and start ruminating on this and experiencing some of the freedom. Like let it start to change you in expectation of the real you that is so glorious and so beautiful and so loving and so humble and so powerful that you have not yet conceived of it. Okay, with all that as our introduction, me kind of telling you what Paul says, let me uh, actually read Paul to you and you'll hear it hopefully from him. Paul says this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This language of in him is the language of union. It's sometimes the theologians call it mystical union or spiritual union or union with Christ. It's, it is this idea that somehow we are being braided together with Christ so that what happens to him happens to us. If he dies, we die. If he lives, we live. If he's in the presence of God, we're in the presence of God. If he has power, we have power. If he has glory, we have glory. This, this idea of being in him so intimately that what happens to him happens to us is at the heart of what Jesus is actually doing. So much so that he can say, live your lives in him. It's not just be good people. It's not, hey, you should stop it with your addictions. It's not anything like that. It is you are now somehow, because you have received Christ, this isn't, this isn't mere empty language. This isn't speculation. This isn't philosophical assent. This isn't, hey, I have some ideas that now I agree to, therefore I have received Christ. No, if they're at the, at the reality of the center of your being, the God of the universe has now injected himself into you. If that's the case, then live your life in him. Rooted and built up, verse 7, in him. Establish your foundation in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving for this marvelously beautiful and good thing that God has done for you. Not because of your goodness, not because of your good intentions, not because of, well, you always tried hard, not because of anything, but because of the vast goodness of God who has decided, I love you. I love you so much that I will heal you from the inside. I delight in you. I'm sorry that you're alienated. I hate that you're so far from me. I hate that you're numb. I hate that you're enslaved. I hate that all of this is the case for you, and I will fix it for you. And we say, thank you, God. Now, um, one, one of the challenging things for me as um, a, a parent, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old little boy. He's getting tall. He used to be down here. Now he's like here. Um, well, one of the challenging things is I think most of us as parents, particularly in the U.S., want, basically our, like, um, our goal, our, our mission is get the kids up, raise them up to where they can be independent. Like the thing that constitutes success or failure for me as a parent is can he be independent? Now, there's something right about that and, and I, I don't want to like go into a whole thing on parenting. Um, but what I do want to suggest is when, when that is our goal for all of our kids, most of us have deeply internalized this idea that what it means for us to be good, for us to be worthy, for us to be adults, for us to be like respectable, for us to be whatever it is we aspire to be, like, all of that boils down to, are we, in, are we independent? 
Actually, I think this is why so many of us are so deathly afraid of certain types of disability um, in, in ways that uh, are really perverse and gross. Um, but I think we've, we've, we've upheld this idea of independence as if maturity equals independence. Um, interestingly enough, like what we are meant to be, who God wants us to be, is not independent beings, but dependent beings. God's not waiting for the day for us to finally flex and stand up on our own so that he can say, oh, I've been waiting for you to walk, way to go. No, what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to give and we receive. And in this infinite dance, he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And the definition of biblical maturity, of Christian maturity, is as simple as we receive and we receive and we receive and we find ourselves saying, oh my God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We abound in thanksgiving. We don't abound in maturity and independence. We're built up in him. We're established in him. We stand up in him. We're taught in him. We live our lives in him. And now our maturity is we say, thank you, God, I always needed you, and I spent my whole life fighting that idea. Verse eight. So, see to it, that no one takes you captive. This is really strong language. They don't trick you, they don't enslave you, they don't take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, this isn't um, against our uh, philosophy students in the room. This is about religious nonsense, even if it's high sounding. Don't Don't go to a church, don't buy into whatever podcast host or author or preacher or friend just intimidates you with their big words and their high concepts. See to it that no one takes you captive through religious nonsense, even if it's high sounding, or according to any human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe. Now, this is, this is unusual language because we don't speak this way anymore, but the elemental spirits of the universe, Paul's doing a couple of things at once that we don't understand. One is he's talking about these like rulers and principalities, these forces over the cosmos that, that are invisible and beyond us. That, that's what he's talking about. The other thing that he's doing is he's, he's going back to like understanding of like elements, like what makes up the world, the, the elemental forces forces of reality, that we would have a periodic table in their days. Uh, let me not get too in the weeds here. Um, but, but what he's saying is, hey, all of us swim in this milieu, and we are so often tricked by other people's thoughts. We are tricked by human tradition. We are tricked by forces far beyond us instead of, and, and he says, not according to Christ. So, so instead of being taken captive according to Christ. And instead of simply and powerfully being connected to the living, real, actual, divine Jesus. Now, we could stop here and we'd be like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but we don't stop here. Paul continues in verse nine. For in him, in this Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Who needs philosophy? Who needs high-minded ideas? Who needs the elemental spirits of the, of the universe? Who needs human tradition when you have the whole fullness of deity in the flesh? 
verse 10. And you have come to fullness in him. Um, This is a tricky translation. What he's saying is, hey, somehow the whole fullness of deity is in Christ, and you, by having Christ in you, have been filled with the one who has the fullness of deity. There's like filling and filling. Jesus is filled with all the full of divine, and you now are somehow meant to be and expected to be and are, even though some of us do not realize this and do not live in the power of this and the freedom of this and the joy of this and the transformation of this and the hope of this, we have come to have fullness, once again, in him, in this union with him, who is the head of every ruler and authority to tie it back up of he is over all things, above all things, beyond all things, all the things that we think are the elemental spirits and elemental things of the universe. Jesus created those. He upholds those moment by moment. He commands those. If you need to be right in any sense, if you need to be healed in any sense, if you don't need to be fixed in any sense, if you need to be upheld in any sense, it's only the one who is filled by all the divinity who himself wants to fill you In him, verse 11, also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. Actually, literally what he says is, he says you were circumcised um, without hands. Like there, there were no physical like cutting going on here. By putting off the body of your flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Okay, so let let me recap here. We'll we'll go a little quicker. But but remember what he's done so far is he said, hey, by the way, Jesus is the one who's the head of every ruler and authority. You don't need all all the rest of the invisible forces to be on your side. All you need is to be filled with Jesus. And and here he said, hey, the, the best religious tradition, right? Paul is not anti Semitic, he is a Jew loving Jew. He is a Torah-loving Jew. He is a Messiah-loving Jew. He is a Yahweh-loving Jew who says, hey, our best traditions of circumcision, I have a better tradition. There's, there's something that's happened to you, not physically, not, not in your flesh, but spiritually because of this Jesus. So what he's doing is, is he's, he's recapitulating, he's, he's summing up, he's, he's going above and beyond the best that there can be. And he's gone after high-minded ideals. He's gone after the elemental spirits of the world. And here he's going after the best religious concepts, best religious practices, even when done with entire earnestness. Paul says is, hey, there's something better than that that's happened because the circumcision that happened to Jesus is now happening to you because you are so braided together with him. This happened, verse 12, when you were buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. So in baptism, so everybody in here who is a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with the spirit of Jesus, I've been baptized together with Jesus. What that means is I have died with Jesus. His death now not only counts for mine in some sort of weird accounting trick, but, but powerfully and in reality somehow his death has consequences for me. It has implications for me. It inherently changes something in my current and real reality. His, his death applies to me, and if his death applies to me, then his new life and his being raised applies to me, such that his raising implies my raising even now. 
resurrection and power available to me and you here and now, even as we await our actual physical resurrection, which is the promise even summed up in the creeds. Verse 13. When you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, i.e., hey, for everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've been baptized in Jesus or not, whether you've been filled with him or not, the stipulation is that all of us are, are dead and dying in trespasses and uncircumcision, non-religiousness of our flesh. And even then, when that was the case, God made you alive together with Christ. He didn't just think nice thoughts about you. He, he didn't just decide to do nice things for you in the future. What he did was something real, Something powerful, something actual, something transformative. You were dead and now you are alive. Now, for many of us, this raises the question of, oh, wait, I'm, I'm alive? I don't, I don't feel alive. I don't experience my aliveness. I don't experience access to God. I don't experience his love. I don't experience his wisdom. I don't experience his spirit. I don't experience his presence. Like, I, I don't know. What does it mean to be alive? How do I know if I'm alive? These are real questions, the right questions, good questions. These are the pastoral questions that I can't answer for you from the stage. Let's walk together through these in, like, actual relationship. That's why we have a staff here at Redemption. It's more than just me. That's why we have groups and people around us that are also more than just me and more than just us as we try to say, wait, how, how do I know that I'm alive? I want to be alive. If I am alive, how do I become more aware of the fact that I'm alive? How do I live into that more? I want to really and powerfully be alive together with Jesus. I want that. God made us alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses. Right? I'm, I'm not denying that there's forgiveness. Yes, absolutely there is forgiveness. And yet forgiveness goes far beyond and is more real and more concrete and more actual than I spent many years believing. So when you're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. There is no more religious demand. There is no more legal demand. There is no more Bible demand on do this or die. All of that was set aside, wiped away, nailed to the cross of Jesus. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, right? So what's happening in the cross is God setting aside all of his law, all of his commandments, all of his stuff, that, that all of his expectations, all of his do this, don't do that. He, he nailed it up on the cross together with Jesus. And beyond that, in, in, in like the same breath, what he did was he disarmed, he stripped and exposed the rulers and authorities, all these cosmic unseen forces. God made a public example of them and triumphed over them in the cross. 
Okay, so here, here's what we've hit. He said, um, Jesus is the one who is over all the elemental forces of the world. Jesus is the one who is more than all your religion. Jesus is the one who set aside the demands of religion. And by the way, Jesus is the one who stripped all those elemental forces of their actual power in your life. This is what it means for you to start to be made alive in Jesus. To be made alive in Jesus is to no longer be under any Old Testament expectation. To be made alive in Jesus is beyond that to be freed from the dominating forces of sin that corrupt the entire world all around us. Verse 16, therefore, do not let anyone condemn you, judge you, shame you, whatever language we use now. Don't let anyone, even an apostle, condemn you in matters of food and drink or observing festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. Now, that, that's the crazy one. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And Paul says, don't let anyone judge you for this anymore. If any of this is true, if all of this has been dealt with in the cross of Jesus, if Old Testament law and expectation is dealt with in the cross, and if the elemental rulers of this world have been stripped of their powers in the cross of Jesus, then you know what? Don't, don't worry about anyone's condemnation. All of these things, verse 17, are a shadow of what to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right, there's a shadow because there's a coming reality and Christ himself is that reality. So don't let anyone disqualify you, verse 18. Insisting on self-abasement, some sort of pious self-denial, some worship of angels or spiritual visions that we dwell on, puffed up without cause in some sort of human way of thinking, even though we pretend it's not human because it's angelic and it's spiritual and it's beyond and it's visions. And so, so right, he's, he's deconstructing so many things. It's religious stuff and it's all of our pious religious activities. Don't let anyone judge you, condemn you, disqualify you, shame you, poo-poo on you over any of these kinds of things, no matter how spiritual they sound. Verse 19, if, if they're not holding fast to the head, i.e., if they are not filled with the full one, if they do not have the divine one living and then re reconnected to them, this one from whom the whole body is nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows with the growth that's from God, i.e., hey, all, all the spiritual growth, all the spiritual reality, all that really happens comes from being connected to Jesus. That's what you need. Not, not all the other stuff that gets intermixed with religion, even when that other stuff apparently comes from the Bible. What you need is Jesus himself. There is absolutely no substitute. Now, okay, let's, let's take a breath here. So we've been going for, I don't know, 15 verses. We're in verse 20. We've still got um, a couple left here in this chapter and then a couple more. And Paul's gonna repeat himself again. He's going to say the same thing, so I'm going to go a little faster, um, but, but he's really emphatic. When the scriptures repeat themselves, sometimes as a preacher I can say, well, I'm just going to preach one of the things, because he said it three times, I don't have to say it three times, I'll say it once. But, but sometimes it's nice for us as we read to say, wow, Paul is like really amped up about this. 
Paul is really emphatic about this. Paul is really warning us about this and trying to get through our skulls that not only what we would consider religion, because we all know it's not religion, it's relationship, right, right, and, and, and then we're like, well, but it is sort of religion because it's really, and, and we have all these like um, Twitter arguments all the time with each other about, well, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and what Paul is doing is he's saying, however you conceive of it, all the spiritual forces, all the structural forces, all the justice issues, all the things beyond your control that determine your life and your desires and your daily habits, the things inside you, the things outside you, the religious forces that tell you here's what you should do, even when those things are good, all of those things are worthless. What you need at the end of the day is to be filled with Jesus. There is no substitute for that, and if you have that, then there is no need for anything else. Verse 20. Yeah, there we are. Paul's so repetitive. <laughs> like, wait, where are we? He's, he's going to recap. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, right? Christ's death doesn't just count for you. It's not just something you believe in, but somehow his death means you died. And somehow the things that used to have ownership and say and sway over you because of your death no longer do. You died with Christ to all of these forces of the universe. So then why do you still live as if you belong to the world? Which is what it means to do all of our religion, to do all of our philosophy, to do all of our striving and all of our stuff that's separate from Christ. Why do you submit to regulations do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They're simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They sound good. They look good. Yes, yeah, stop doing that. It's killing you. Change your behavior. God would be happier with you. You should intend good things. Yeah, yes, there's, there's something that sounds so right about these and is somehow so right about these things. And yet, they, they, while they promote self-imposed piety and even humility and severe treatment of the body, they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. Any of these human-made rules, they may seem wise, they may seem spiritual, they may even seem angelic, and yet they are useless to conquer the actual evil that we are all bound in and swimming in that we talked about last week. So, Chapter 3, verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, and all of you who believe in Jesus, who confess Jesus, who have been baptized into Jesus, he's not saying this if, as if he wants you to doubt that. He, he's saying this in an expectant way, in, in a way of stipulation. Yes, like, yes, I, I know that you have been made alive together with Christ. I know that you, in the raising of Christ, have been raised together with him. He, he just said that. He's not saying, well, for the, the few of you that this happens to be the case for. No, he says, for every single one of us who believe in Christ, if this is the case, if we believe in Christ, if we have been raised, like I just told you, that we've been raised and made alive together with Christ, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So if, if, if any of this is true, and if you are somehow paired together with Jesus, and Jesus is doing above things, then think about above things. Meditate on above things. Pray about above things. Steep yourself. Marinate in above things. Four, verse three, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so we're gonna get to verse four. Verse four is the place where all of this kind of clicks together for me. But, but right, all, all he's been doing is pitching us, hey, you need to be reconnected to Jesus. If you are reconnected to Jesus, the one who has life in himself, then you will never die. He died and you died with him. And now he's been resurrected and you have been resurrected with him. You have access to all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms through Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians. You're, you're, you, you have access to the presence of the living God who loves you and desires you and delights in you and laughs about you and has joy over you and wants you. Live like it. Stop obsessing about the goofy religious stuff. Stop obsessing about all the unforeseen forces that seem to control you. They don't, they don't control you anymore. Stop with the religion. Stop with all the other stuff. Even your inner heart and mind and life have died, have been reconnected with God, and are somehow being transformed in the resurrection that you now have together with Jesus. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, verse four. Now, when Christ, who is your life, such a weird thing to say, like something poetic and profound there. He is my life. He's my source of life. He's the reason I still breathe. He is my actual, living, breathing, real, spiritual life. It's not just an idea. It's not just an experience, but somehow he himself is my life. And when he is revealed, when second coming happens, when glory happens, when all things are finally made just and right and right side up the way that we expect, when, when he is revealed, what we expect is you also, we also will be revealed with him in glory. There is a hiddenness to us, even in this moment, even from ourselves, about who we will be, about who we are made to be, and we know so little about it. And yet, what we do know is that it is to find its fulfillment in Christ, to be made whole and glorious in Him, because He's our life. He's not just our ideas. He's not just uh, uh, the, the thing that we have faith in, as if it's this thing that we believe, although it is that, or, or this thing that, that we think. Yes, it is that, but more than that, it's, it's this idea of our faith is a trust. Our faith is a connection. Our faith is a living in him, even when we're still caught in this vast in-between, longing for him to come and fix all the things permanently. So we say, God, I've been made alive, but how do I know I've been made alive? I'm not experiencing it enough. God, you've freed me from the elemental spirits of this world, and yet we still get cancer and we die. 
God, I, I, I long for so many of these things to be like brought to fruition that you say are done, but like, can they, can they be done yet? What we expect wholeheartedly and confidently is that when Jesus is revealed, we ourselves will be revealed. When his glory comes, so will our glory that far outstrips anything that we've imagined or conceived. For humanity, yes, and even for ourselves. So, the basic question of New Year's resolutions is, how do I get back to the real me? How do I become the me that I'm meant to be? The answer from Paul seems to be this. You can never become the you you are meant to be without direct connection to Jesus who loves you who's so near to you. You are in him in this moment, even if you never thought about it before. Who's reaching out to you, who wants to fill you with all of his fullness. Not because of your goodness, not because of your intentions, not because you've done everything so right and so well, but just because he loves you. He is burning, radiating, glorious love, even for you. So you get to the real you by being connected back to this God of love who is going to make you come alive. And if that started happening for you a little bit, but not quite as much as you would like, which is the case for me and I think for so many of us in here, then Paul says, so think about these things more Become more aware of your connection to Jesus, your need for him, your hope in him, your expectation of his glory taking shape in your life, in your humanity, even in your body, yes, also your mind and heart and soul. All the religious stuff is dumb. We need to be filled with Christ. And now that we have been, we can breathe deep, relax, and live like it. Let's pray. God, I wanna wanna sit in this more. I wanna relax in this more. I wanna experience this more. God, would you teach me to pray? Would you teach me to sit in your presence? Would you teach me to be aware of your presence? Would you teach me to be your presence in the midst of my friends? Would you teach me to see your presence in my friends that I'm in the midst of? God, I long to be different. I long to be more human and more alive and more joyous and more loving. Would you fill me with yourself? because you are the cause and source and definition of all these things. God, I want to be more joyous, and you are the fountain of joy. God, I want to be more loving, and you are the fountain of love. God, I want to work towards justice, and you are the fountain of justice. God, I want all of these things. Would you fill me with yourself, with your son, for me and for all of us? We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, 
then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.